Coming up on this episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast. There's a fucking myth going around that you're two narries yeah. at the end of the day. Northsiders, you are in your hole. These two lads are sons of judges and bankers from Montanati, putting on these vices for the last three years. <laughs> oh, credit to imposters at the end of the oh, day. Jesus. Think you can pull the wool over people outside Cork? Everybody inside fucking North Cork knows who you are. Yeah. You've never been there in your lives. Yeah. Never been there. Montanati is where you hang out. Everybody knows where you're from in Mayfield. There's the posh part of the north side and the real part <laughs> is the... Well, as you can hear, Roy Keane was in shocking um, form uh, when he phoned in to chat to the two Norries on this episode. And believe me, the rest of the call didn't get much better either. Uh, but the lads gave as good as they got, and you can hear the full heated conversation between them a little later in the podcast. But Kino wasn't just in bad form. He was also throwing around some very unfair and baseless accusations at the two lads. Because I can tell you, they are as North Cork as North Cork can get. In fact, if you're not as familiar with the lingo, uh, Nori is actually someone from the north side of Cork. And the two Norries are James Leonard and Timothy Long. And I have to admit, this is one of the conversations I have most enjoyed since I started doing this podcast. When I left um, the building after talking to the two lads, I spent the rest of the day on a high. I don't know particularly why. I think maybe it's the way we clicked with each other. And uh, their story, I think, um, made me just made me feel great. First of all, they're incredible. Um, They've both had tough, tough, tough lives and have turned them around in spectacular fashion. They're also warm, honest, and lastly, capable of having great crack. And yes, we talk about all the hard stuff, drink, drugs, gambling, prison, and the rest of it. But we also have a great laugh. Um, I regard it as a kind of a classic uh, Mario Rosenstock podcast, and I know you're going to really enjoy this one. So I get up off the bed when they left the cell and I see white little pieces of ceiling paint on the floor, on the grey floor. And I crawl around the floor naked trying to pick them up. And I had this kind of spiritual experience where it was the first time I ever had some form of awareness. It's just, what are you doing with your life? You remind me of what the, um, if the Young Offenders made the 26th series of the Young Offenders. Where are they now? Where are they now? Yeah. Be like, ep- series 26 of the Young Offenders. Podge and fucking there. They're there like, I have me on podcast. Will we go out and rob a bus? No, I'm down there doing some self-help therapy. It's on Leonard down the road, not the Heaney. The old offenders. <laughs> You could actually give me a pop accent as well. Maybe a Cork accent or something. One of those bog accents. Can help me. What, an old West Cork or something. How did, what, what did you say? West. Sorry, I didn't understand that language. <laughs> what, 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 is that a dialect? Of, uh... He's on the wrong setting for the robot. <laughs> Just a taste of my full conversation with the two Norries coming up in a few minutes' time. But before that, there's been much talk about, um, well, parties in Downing Street of late. Champagne flowing at political get-togethers in the midst of the harshest of lockdowns. The controversy must be taking up all the time of the pu- poor, the poor Downing Street staff. So it got me to thinking how difficult it must be for normal punters to get through to government departments. And what happens when you actually ring Downing Street? Downing Street party planners, can I help you? Hello, I have a number of issues I'd like addressed, please. Are you attempting to organise a party, sir? We can help. Well, I don't want 
to have a party. What are you talking about? Right, so how can we be of service? Well, the whole thing. You've made a complete mm. mess of the whole thing. The whole country's mm. depressed and miserable, mm. and I'd like to know... And? What are you going to do? The solution! Right, oh, what about a party? Uh, no! You know, some balloons, cakes, some champagne, uh, cheese and wine, you really brighten things up. Stick your bloody parties, goodbye! Downing Street party planners, we love to party. Oh, I'm extremely concerned. Of course, madam, with what? Oh, I'm worried about inflation, for starters. Is it a bouncy castle issue, madam? You are. Well, a good party needs a fully inflated bouncy castle we always find. No, I need help. I'm on my own. Oh, of course. Well, we might just have somebody for you. He's very funny. He could brighten up your day. Would you like to meet Bojo? Uh, Bojo! There he is. Bouncy castle, bouncy castle, bouncy party, 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 party. Downing Street party planners. Hello, this is Niall Burgess from the Department of Foreign Affairs in Ireland. Can I speak to... Right, so I suppose you'll want to speak to the Foreign Secretary, will you? I know. I'm trying to organise a party. We heard you were the folks to talk to about that sort of stuff. Oh, lovely! Hold the line. Boris, wake up! Party time! Well, at least Downing Street is diversifying into what it knows best. And speaking of doing what you do best, Curry's proud supporters of this podcast have the best electronics, appliances and consumer tech. I've been telling you this for ages. All at the very best prices. They will not, in fact, be beaten on price. Johnny Sexton has heard the news. It's Six Nations time and Johnny will want to watch himself and the rest of the lads on TV. So let's cross over live to one of Curry's stores right now. Your commentator, Ryle Nugent. And here we are, deep inside a curry store. So much on offer, so many incredible items to choose from. In steps Johnny Sexton. Hi, excuse me. Sexton looks around, surveys his options. He needs help. Yes, can I help you? Uh, Yeah, I'm looking for big screen TVs, please. No problem, this way, please. Thanks. Sexton makes his move. He's going down the aisle. He's past the kitchen appliances. Incredible value. He has a look over at the laptops. Beautiful laptops at Curry's. Sexton keeps going. He's at the TV and entertainment section. He's so close, he can feel it. Sexton looks around. This is the moment. Oh, look at this. He sees it. It's a beautiful big screen TV. This might cost him. Wow, great value, I'll take it. It's there! He's done it! Johnny Sexton has done it! He's walked away with an incredible bargain from Curry's who have proven again this year they won't be beaten! They will never be beaten on price! Thanks. See ya. Bye, Johnny. Stop standing around in Curry's shouting your head off, will you? You're stupid. Sorry. So get yourself all set up for a great season of sport with a visit to Curry's. They will never be beaten on price. And thanks to Curry's for their ongoing support. And thanks to you out there listening. Um, and for all the likes and the followers and the subscribers and the ratings um, and the comments uh, to me personally at MarioRosenstock at gmail.com. Um, by supporting us and listening in, subscribing, um, you really, really, really help us. And please uh, tell a friend or two, if you can, about the podcast, because they say word of mouth in podcasts is pretty much everything. So if you tell one friend that you enjoyed the podcast, um, I'd be very grateful for that. Check it out. So, are you ready to get all cork-like? Like, I mean really, really, really cork. Like, yangery cork. Like, really gnarly, flare, up the pan, kind of cork. Northside. 
then come with me to the rebel county to meet the famous the two norries yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god it's great to have you so like, uh, since I started this podcast every time I ask people who and give us some suggestions of who to have on you were always in the list thank you that's great yeah. that was really nice yeah that's great um, and because you know everybody that's had you on um, has got such great value and we've crossed over a little bit as well because a kind of a podcasting friend of mine is Ty Kiki oh, and, oh, yeah, and yeah. Ty uh, and I have done some stuff together he used to be on my show on the Sunday Roast on on Today FM and then you had him on uh, right. and Tyg and all that sort of stuff and you had great conversations about like yeah. you know uh, drugs and addiction and, and and of course alcohol which of mm. course is very close to Tyg's heart it is, it is <laughs> and, yeah. and that's something we'll talk about later yeah. um, but, but for the purposes of my um, audience lads I'd really love to share and I, and I know you're, you're blue in the face right mm. doing this but be, be just a, a, a darker shade of blue maybe just like the colour of your jumpers purple mm. just talking to me about your story where it came from because that's where we'll be used as the jumping off point about where you are now okay. and, and why this is a fantastic story yeah. so um, James yep. James tell me about like your like your background and how you got into um, you know the you know, bit of trouble and the difficulties you had and where you came out. Yeah, so I'm originally from Dublin. I was born in the Coombe Hospital. Oh, that's a terrible start. <laughs> you know, I agree. The fucking two Norries are on. Lads, I'm selling this as, as cork as cork can be. They're as cork as Mitchellstown fucking cheddar. The blood and bandage are all this. Wow, how are you? I was born in Dublin. <laughs> what a lang boy. Don't hold it against me. The fucking langer ruins the whole podcast. <laughs> but uh, my mum is from Cork City in the north side and my dad is from Inchicore, Dublin 8. So, um, we lived in Clondalk and in Neilstown when I was a baby but um, around that time my in dad Neilstown. yeah yeah. so um, around that time like many other men my father went to England for work so my mother was a young lady with two kids in a cock woman in Dublin so she wanted to move somewhere a little bit quieter so we moved to Knocknaheeny in 1986 which was probably the roughest neighbourhood in Munster at the time yeah. is would, would that, would be North Cork now wouldn't it North City North City North yeah. City yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's fair to say like uh, if we were to compare let's say Knocknaheeny it would be a bit actually Actually, you could compare it to Neilstown in a way. You could. You it's could. tough. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's very, it's very working class. There's it a is. lot of drugs. There's a lot of, um, there's criminality. Yeah. Um, very little, very little work. Unemployment yeah. was massive. Yeah. It's you see in an area like that where it's just all social housing. When a, in a working class area like that, when a recession comes, people lose their jobs en masse. And when you have mass unemployment, then that breeds social problems. But the people are great, the area is great, but it just did have social problems. But for my mother, it was better the devil you know, because that was where she would grow, She grew up, that was where the family was and the aunts and that. So that's where I grew up. And uh, we lived, we said, Timmy grew up very close to Apple Computers, um, European headquarters. Yeah. But the contrast in resources is really magnified. You know, when you think of like one of the biggest companies in the world, yeah. in where we grew up, you know, would have been um, not the wealthiest of areas. Oh, I suppose, it's so funny say. you say that because like Apple just announced their, uh, their three monthly profits th- today. And the three monthly profits were 130 billion for the three months. And that talk- number means nothing to me. <laughs> exactly. How do you get but your head I'm just talking that? about Knocknaheeny versus 130 billion. Yeah. Know, uh, yeah. And you know, so like, and then. So growing up in that area, then for myself and Timmy, um, 
you don't have people like uh, going to university. Like we didn't really know anybody that was going to university. So the role models you looked up to was the people that was wearing the nice clothes, had the nice cars and attended to be involved in drugs and joyriding. They were the people that had status, not everybody. But for me, it was, that's what I looked up to. I was and drawn James, to is that. it very difficult to uh, stop yourself from getting involved in that when you're surrounded by it like that? It's not It's not like you have a choice of is this difficult or not. It's just you're socialised in that environment. So when you have, you know, family members and friends and uh, neighbours going into prison involved in drugs, it's the most natural thing in the world for you to do that because yeah. it's you're, you're just, that's your environment, yeah. you know. So it's not like, oh, I'm making bad decision. It's never like that. It's just that's how you're being socialised, you know. So it did end up like... Um, getting involved in drugs, getting in trouble in school, getting in trouble at home because of school. And then once I finished school, I left home and then kind of really took off with the drugs and then that escalated. When you say drugs, what kind of drugs? Uh, early days, solvents, alcohol, cannabis, then ecstasy. And then really the trouble started when I started um, taking benzodiazepines like Xanax and Rohypnol and then heroin. And then it was sentences for prison. Um, in the early days, it was um, public order, antisocial behaviour, joyride and stuff like that. And then when the addiction really got bad, it was more around possession of drugs, yeah. theft um, and stuff like that. OK, and Timmy, you grew up close to James. Yeah, I'd say about four or five doors away. And does your arc have a similar arc to him? No. <laughs> Go on, tell us. Um, I grew up, uh, my, my mother was a single parent. Right. My father moved to England at the age of three or four and there were severe mental health issues within the family home. And when we, you say that, do you mean like, just let's I mean, let's put a put, yeah. try and put a label on them. What kind of mental health issues? She had a nervous breakdown yeah. uh, when I was a really, really small child. You know, she was left with two babies then on her own hmm. and she didn't know how to manage. You know, she could not manage. And it, it, there was a lot of poverty, you know, there was nobody working in the family. So it was, we weren't working class or anything like that. We were, we were poor, poor. Mm. And um, it went on like that for a number of years. My mother's mental health kept deteriorating as time came on. You know, there was numerous uh, attempts in her life. Um, and by, by herself, you mean? Yes. Yeah. And she would have spent a lot of time in and out of different uh, institutions. Yeah. Yes. Mm. And... You know, there wasn't much teaching around that then. There was a lot of violence. Violence was a massive thing within the family environment as well. Ma there was a lot, an awful lot of violence. And, um, you know, but sh listen, she done the best she could. As we said earlier on, myself and James were having a conversation. She was just, she didn't know any better. And she done the best she could around that area. So it, it was a tough, tough place to be mm. for any child. Um, but we done the best we could and everything that was going on around me, school and trying to make friends, they were very, very, very difficult. School wasn't something that I was able to um, be good at because I was consistently worried about what I was going home to or hungry or being bullied on the street by different kids. You know, back in the 80s, you have to remember like, um, a mother bringing up kids on her own wasn't something you see you see very frequently, you know. Um, there was no father in there. So it was a, a really difficult childhood, a really, really difficult childhood. And um, I would have gotten involved with 
Solvent at a young age, mm. 10, 11. Both of you have said that now. Yes. Mm. I mean, for your own information, just to, so, like, just to try and draw a parallel between you and me for a moment. I mean, um, I'm, I'm 51, okay? Mm-hmm. And I grew up in South County, Dublin. Now, I didn't grow up in a privileged background, although compared to you, I did. So I would have probably described myself as kind of poor middle class. Mm. Middle class going to good schools with kind of middle class friends called Nisha. And things like that. (laughs) Fellas who talk like that. Mm. But they all had money and I didn't. But I remember like even in my school, I won't name the school because I think, but we were all doing glue and Mm. stuff like that. Mm. Not on a regular basis, but we would be exposed to it. And Mm. if a tosser like me was exposed to it on the fringes of middle class Dublin, can you imagine how like rampant it was in your areas? It's the solvent you get out of your head. And another one you do is they used to do this put put your head in a bag mm. for thirty seconds mm. and you you do the deodorant. Mm. You'd abs- yeah. you, now I'm serious. Yeah. You would be in absolutely out of it. Mm. You would, but experimentation for um, adolescents, young adolescents, is a very normal part of development. But when you have underlying issues, that's when the trouble begins. Because if you have a child from that doesn't have those underlying issues, they'll do the experimentation and move on. Mm. But when you have a child that have underlying issues, the experimentation becomes the release. And then that becomes the crutch that they use to help with the underlying issues. So that's why if you have experienced poverty, neglect, violence, as a child and you start to experiment, you're more likely to use that to mm. addiction levels because it helps you to cope with that underlying stuff. Whereas if you don't have that underlying stuff, you'll go through that natural um, experimentation part and then move on with your life. Sure, James. Mm. Um, and you talked there about Xanax and benzo diaf- yeah. benzos, we call them, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, what was, for example, because like, I want to talk about something else related to this later on in the conversation, but what was let's say a low point that you can remember where if possible, you even said, shit, this is it. Um, I'm getting a bit of a, a moment of realization here that I might die if something doesn't happen. Mm. Or can you remember? Yeah, there was, there's been a few, but um, I never really had the belief that I could actually do anything better. But the one, you were trapped. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't have the self-esteem or the confidence that I could actually do anything I'm doing today. Yeah would have been way beyond my fantasy, you know. Yeah. But um, there's been a few, but the one that always sticks out is the last one where uh, I was homeless and I was after overdosing on the street and I was found by somebody who was passing and rang the guards and the paramedics and they came and they give you an naloxone, which is an antidote to opiate overdose. And I got up and walked away and a couple of days later, the guards pulled me and they just said, like, um, I was expecting a stop and search, typical kind of interaction, but it wasn't like that. It was more around them. Um, we're, we're concerned, you know, like you, you're gone very bad. We've never seen you so bad. We know you a long time. You need to look after yourself because you're going to be found dead. And that was a profound experience because it was out of the ordinary. And when somebody's interaction with you is out of the ordinary, it takes, you take more note of it. Mm. So that was probably the last, after that, then I made the phone call to get into treatment. Okay. And um, yeah. so it was. And uh, that uh, phone call you described to get into treatment, this is the beginning. Mm. of the rest of your life. Yeah. And Timmy, yeah. how about you? How about would have been a low experience for you and then the change from a low experience to the beginning of the rest of your life? Um, that was a long period, but I'll, I'll give you a little bit of indication to it. Uh, it was a period where I was waiting to go to prison for, for a lengthy sentence. Um, and everybody that was important to me in my life at that time were gone because I'd pushed them away or hurt them in some way. I had two young kids at the time. Uh, my partner 
Um, and I was actually out on bail conditions from the guards and all these different things and my addictions to cocaine, ta- prescribed meds and alcohol and gambling addiction and all these mad things were very, very, very uh, out of control. They were chaotic. I'd never done anything at a low level. Everything had to be done at the, f- the fullest level all out, you know. Um, and I remember one day I was after running out of more money I was out in bail now and I, I had a curfew and stuff and all these different things and I, I was after breaking that and the guards were looking for me at this period and I, I robbed another place again, got caught, had a big scuffle with the guards. I was destroyed in pepper spray and just injuries from, from me resisting arrest and stuff and over to the cell and before I got arrested I was after planking more drugs in my body. I won't say where. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> Yin yang. Um, yeah. So um, the only thing that was comfort me, comforting me uh, through the whole process was the knowing that I had more drugs. Once they all left the cell, I could get back into the drugs and start snorting more Jesus, cocaine, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, no, my whole body was on fire because I'd been sweating from the, the resistant rest and the pepper spray was going into my pores. And I was on fire. I had a doctor come in to me and my solicitor was there and all these different things. And um, the only thing that was going through my head was the drugs. So I get up off the bed when they left the cell, everybody, and I start crawling. Couldn't find the drugs in my body. And I see white little pieces of ceiling paint on the floor, on the grey floor. And I crawling around the floor naked, trying to pick them up off the floor, thinking that I was after dropping them on the floor. Yeah. And I had this kind of spiritual experience where it was the first time I ever had some form of awareness. It's just, what are you doing with your life? You're going to prison for a long time. Nobody wants you. There's a barn order, a protection order out in the house. You can't go near your family home because your wife doesn't want the kids to see the way you're behaving. You know, the guards are looking for you. God knows who else is looking for for other stuff. And here you are again you know, on your knees and the only thing you can think about is drugs. I got up in the bed and I cried for about two or three hours and I, f- and I fell asleep. And that was the beginning of my my life. Um, I stopped drinking alcohol that day, drugging, criminality, gambling. Um, and from that period on, I got a bit of help. So when, when I got out of the cells, I went straight to my doctor. My doctor put me on prescribed meds uh, for... Um, depression and he put me in contact with a counsellor and I went to this counsellor for a six week period and I was put into a treatment centre then in February and the guards knew where I was and they, they, they were happy with me staying there the end of February then I got out of there and I, my, I was after rekindling my relationship between me and my partner and I spent two weeks with them and then I went into prison. And that's when it all started then for me. That's when I got an education. I had no education. I'd done the junior cert and I worked my way up the ladder. Um, I seen this prison psychologist for over two years, the drug counsellor, the AA. You know, I just kept working on myself, even though I wanted to just go drinking and drugging because I was in an awful lot of pain. I was traumatised from my childhood and I was full of guilt and shame from all the things that I've done during my addiction and the crime and hurting people and all these different things. And I really, 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 really struggled. And 
nine months into my prison sentence. My whole family were in prison at this stage. I was in one prison in the Midlands. My other brother was in uh, Portlaoise Prison. I had another brother in Cork Prison. My mother was at home on her own and she took her life. She she ended up taking her life when I was nine months into that prison sentence and um, I just... I, I just didn't know how I was even going to handle any more emotional pain but I managed to get through it because there was some really really good people in the prison system that were helping me and um, I don't know it just I just have this inner drive and want you know I suppose I got strength from that then too afterwards and it kept pushing me forward Well Timmy that's one of the most vivid and brilliant and concise descriptions of that I could ever imagine and it's funny because Adele said outside the door uh, go to James first because Timmy's a bit quiet <laughs> <laughs> So I went to Timmy yeah. 10 minutes later and just on the end of one of the best movie monologues I've ever heard in my life the pepper spray is coming into me. My body's on fire. Down your pores. I'm crawling around the ground with white stuff. That's so that's what I sound like, so Mario. <laughs> no, not really. I'm very good with no, the no, Well, well I, have to, I have to try and, uh, I have to, I'll, I'll listen to you more and I'll try and yeah. get into it. That was generic Cork. Thank you. Really, really wonderful, the, the two of you. Um, and how did the, I'm going to skip forward a little bit now because you two guys look great, right? So for example, you look so, you're, I could see by your skin, you look so healthy and, you know, you. Timmy's built. Bit like a tank, he's always built like was. a tank, brick <laughs> shit house. And James, you look great. You both look so healthy, and I can't imagine what state you were in. Your bodies were mm. fucked, your minds mm. were fucked, and now you look so great. And um, things are going so well with the two Norries, for example, yeah. which is a podcast among other things. Uh, very briefly, James, how did you get together, and for yeah. what purpose? So when I came out of treatment, very quickly, I had nowhere to go, so I, st- I went to a house belonging to Cox. I am a community homeless charity, and at, around that time, I was doing community service for an old court case that had been dealt with so when I went up to do the community service Timmy had just been released from prison and he had to finish off his sentence in the community doing the community service so I was trying to find my feet in early recovery not really sure of who is James what am I, what's my identity what am, I, am I doing the right thing and then I met Timmy and he was on the same pathway and I was like I didn't feel so alone then and then um, so we, you became friends mm-hmm. yeah even though we know each other years yeah. but we become close to, and then we both went into well before he was just the langer that left to live five doors down plus, plus he's a few years older than me yeah. so I like to remind you, you know, he's, he's the langer that looks like a kind of a slim down oh, tyke furlong yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a pumped up key girls <laughs> That's true. Oh, Actually, has he stopped taking the drugs? Because he does look like yeah. Keith Earls on anabolic steroids. <laughs> but um, so uh, we were on the same path and, you know, we both went into education and we did our degrees and, and all that other stuff. And then I was on Tommy Turner's show two years ago, actually, this time two years ago. And after that, I got a huge amount of media requests as well as, well as people contacting me looking for help. And I said to Tim, I feel overwhelmed. You know, I wasn't. Like I wasn't even on Facebook at the time and I was reluctantly did that TV show and I was overwhelmed and I was talking to Timmy says why don't we do our own podcast so you're getting really famous and you rang up Timmy and said Timmy listen I'm getting more than I can handle will you take sloppy seconds <laughs> that's a good way of putting it actually <laughs> but Timmy Timmy mentioned the podcast then and I was like you know what that's actually a good idea yeah. and two years well 18 months ago now and uh, the podcast is doing really well it it's is helping a lot of people mm-hmm. it is and you say helping a lot of people 
Is, is that one of the thoughts that was in your mind? That was the whole motivation mm-hmm. of it. Mm. Like we're both, we're not the most extroverted of people and we're not like, um, uh, like to, for us to do Instagram stories and stuff like that, it's uncomfortable mm. for us, yeah, you know. know, but we do it because there's so many people need to hear the message, you know, mm. and there's so many people that like we've been blessed to be provided with the opportunity to have education and all the spiritual awareness and personal development, but not everybody is so privileged. So we tried to bring a little piece of that to them through the podcast for free from the comfort of their homes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and listen, everybody's talking about it and it's and it's brilliant. I wanted to talk to you about a couple of just pick a pick a couple of uh Headlines and and maybe we'll talk about them because this is stuff you talk about. I have and I'll start with the first one because I have a particular uh, uh, problem with it, um, and it's the level of um, gambling advertising that happens in not only the Western world but we'll just take Ireland. And I've done some sketches about it. Even mm-hmm. you know, I did a, an ad which is about a, a fake company called Bet Crack. Yeah. You know, and it's all about like you know, it's betting but on crack. So it's like, you know, you'll get into us. We'll make you bet on anything. Two flies running up a fucking wall. A cockroach fight out in Thailand. Bird crack. We'll get you. And, I'm, and I think this betting stuff has is killing people mm. because it is an insidious murderer. Yeah. When you drink, people can smell it off you. You can they can see you falling around the floor. Your wife, your partner, your kids can maybe tell you to get help. Your parents, somebody. When you're on drugs, it's self-evident. You're crawling around on the ground thinking you're on fire, mm-hmm. trying to snort paint. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. but when you gamble, nobody can see it. Gambling is um it's it's one of these addictions yes, that Timmy, walk yeah. in the background. You know Gambling was a massive part of my story as well. And it had complete control of me. I was consistently chasing the loss. And if I lost, I was chasing that to get it back, to break even, to lose again. This is interesting. This is interesting. This is interesting that you say that because I studied, I read a little bit about gambling as well and the philosophy behind gambling. Mm. And you might, there's a book you might read, right? And it's called The Gambler. And it's by Fyodor Dostoevsky, right? A Russian writer. Very famous. Yeah. And he wrote a really great novel called The Gambler. About a gambler, but about loads of things. But in the book at one stage, he describe, he, dis- he discusses what is it about gambling that is addictive? Mm. And if you ask anybody going down the street, they'll tell you one thing. Well, everybody wants to win. You want to win, win everything. You want to just win. That's what you want. You're always chasing the win. It's the win you're looking for. Mm. And Dostoevsky discussed how this was not true in his opinion. He said that everybody who gambles wants to lose mm. and not lose big, not lose, lose big mm. to be liquidated, mm. to be cleaned out. Now, there's a deeper philosophy of why that, why that is. Mm. And he, among other things, he explained that there was a deep desire within the person just to be wiped out, almost as well to go, I fucking told you so. Mm. I told you so. I was right. We're all fucked. I'm fucked. You're fucked. We're fucked. I was right. Mm. It's that they kept chasing this thing until they could almost prove that they were right. It's a philosophical theory, but the the the, the, the reasoning behind was they want to lose, not win. And you mentioned that, Timmy. Mm. You wanted to almost chase the next loss. Mm. It's just, just uh, as you said, there is, it's insidious. It gets worse and worse and worse. It starts off with the small bets and then it gets to a period where you're you're losing your wages on a Friday or a Thursday yeah. or whatever, and then it moves on to stealing. robbing. Yeah, the, you know, and like even at the moment, like with the amount going back to what you said, there are these ads, these online ads, mm. or gamble sense sensibly. Yeah. 
There is absolutely no such thing as gambling sensibly. You know, when a compulsive gambler starts gambling, they're gambling all in until they have nothing left. You know, I, I had a friend who gambled so much, he actually took over a loan behind, put the house, the mor- remortgaged the house behind his wife's back. They lost their house because he wasn't remaking the payments of this. He was staying at home, waiting for the postman every day, taking the letters until people started knocking at the door. That's how bad gambling can be. Gambling is, it, it just takes control of everything. You can't see it, mm. you know, un- unless you see somebody consistently Su- on the suicide phone. Suicide is a big thing as well amongst gamblers. Yeah. It's the shame of like working your balls off Monday to Friday and then going back to your wife Friday night with the money gone. Uh, and the online gambling is is even worse because when you go into a bookies, you can only lose the cash you have in your pocket. But when you're at home with the laptop and the bank card, you can clean out your whole account. And it's just, there was a good uh, program on TG Car a few years ago. A fellow from Offaly, I think his name was Tony. He was working in a post office and he was a gambler and he took out a couple of million out of the post office. Even Paddy... I can't, Tony I Ten, I think they called him. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I won't name the bookmaker. But the bookmaker was actually ringing him direct. He had a direct line to like the the owner of the betting company. We know we noticed the online banking systems don't want. But if you need to make a bet, here's my number. Oh Jesus! Yeah, and he he was getting tickets for um, Leopardstown and Man United. Yeah, to go to gambling places. On imagine how much money you have to be pumping into them for them to start giving you free tickets. You know, that's right. Uh, there's another insidious. You mentioned the word insidious, Timmy. And it's a good word uh, aspect to it, and that's it. When you try to clean it, when when you try to get withdraw the money from your account. Yeah, that because you're you're. That's an option, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember that money I won, lads? Any chance I could have it? Yeah. <laughs> they fucking make it nearly impossible for you. Mm-hmm. They, you can't get through to them. You, you, they, they put you on, you hold different people, have to kick you upstairs. You'll never be able mm-hmm. to do it practically. It's yeah. disgusting. Is there anything you think we could do, Timmy, about gambling in this country? I mean, are, 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 am I thinking, am I right in presuming that you'd just kind of go, I'd, bloody well try to ban gambling advertising for starters 100% that that should be done because the people that are the people that own these gambling organisations like all these um, companies like Quinbet and, and all these different ones you know you can bet your life they're not gamblers like, you can you know you can bet your life they're not they gamblers. don't get high on their own supply uh-huh. and um, like they should just Mm. Any form, it's like selling drugs. It's like selling drugs to people on the streets. Like it's very poorly regulated, isn't it? Like if, like, there's stricter controls now around advertising alcohol in sports venues and in supermarkets and tobacco. You wouldn't see mm. advertised anymore. So, it, it, we need that shift. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But it just takes somebody to do it. Absolutely, James. Yeah. Tell me about drugs. So what I mean by tell me about drugs is ask um, where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm fucking. I'm a bloody fucking bible on the drugs now. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, no problem. <laughs> Any question you want now. What are you looking what for? You, what are you looking for? <laughs> Benzos. Um, anyway, um, no, I meant. What kind of policy do we have about drugs in this country? Is it the right policy? Could policies be changed? Uh, we have policies that are not great. Okay. Um, What's wrong with them? First of all, if you have, like you've met me and Timmy here, all right, and there's loads of people like me and Timmy out there that have used drugs and ended up in prison, but they're actually decent people underneath it all. So like for somebody in my situation where I never in my life committed a crime, 
that wasn't drug or alcohol related, either under influence or to get the money to get the drugs. Mm. It's you take the if if you when I come into recovery from drugs, never again committed a crime. It wouldn't even come into my head mm-hmm. because I was always a decent person. It was just the drug related. So sending me into prison when my when the the issue was drug addiction and not criminal not criminality. It didn't serve any purpose, only cost the taxpayer a fortune and just it becomes a revolving door. Mm. So like it may be when I got access to proper treatment, I didn't take a drug, I never committed a crime. Maybe if the treatment was offered earlier instead of prison, we might have saved a lot of time and a lot of money. But in Ireland, we consistently put people into prison that have addictions, even though our policy exposes a health-led response in practice, it's uh, still a criminalization yes. of the drug addict. Yes, mm. yes, 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 I see. Um, I get the impression that there are other countries who deal with this slightly better. Are, are you aware of? Yeah, there is. And everybody goes to Portugal because they were the first country in How's the world. How's that working? Well, Portugal brought in a radical policy for decriminalization of all drugs. Now, decriminalization is not the same as legalization. The drugs are still illegal if you get caught in possession of um, amounts for personal use. You yeah. won't be prosecuted. You go before a committee yeah. where they try to help you. Yeah. But anything over the personal amount, you're still convicted and all that, you know. Yeah. So, um, but they brought that in because they had some of the highest HIV rates in Europe. They had... Uh, huge capacity in prison, overdose deaths and all these you know, negative statistics associated mm. with drug addiction. So it was brought in as a radical response, mm. to, a needed radical response because yeah. they did. And now even the most strictest opposers to that policy wouldn't even change it because it's worked so well. Yes. But it's, it, it's, it's not that there's a lack of science. It's just that our drug policy is often based off of morality. Yes, yes. And that's okay. the problem. Well said. Uh, yeah. Timmy, one other aspect to your uh, experience. Yeah. And am I right in saying that um, through all your problems and through your problems with school and gambling and the drugs and relationships and partners and all that, you also overcame this, the problem that you, mm-hmm. you only learned to read and mm-hmm. write when you were 32. Well, um, or later in life. Yeah, at the age of 32 when I went into prison, I started um, my education journey, you know. Yeah. I had uh, basic reading and writing skills, you know. I'd never, up to that point, I'd never, ever, ever felt there was an application form for anything in my lifetime. Right. So I started in the prison school in the Midlands and um, I started at the lower level because I didn't feel uh, it was the only le- level that I I could actually... <laughs> work on at the time yeah. and I worked my way up you know I'd go back down to the cell afterwards and I'd learn the alphabet yeah. I'd learn the months of the year yeah. I actually didn't even know the months of the year in, 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 in proper order um, and I kept working away at that and I went from the FETAC level 3 level 4 and then to level 5 and level 6 and then I went on to third level education and I finished an honours degree in construction management in 2020 cool. in May and um, I feel without me doing that, uh, going on that journey of education, I wouldn't be able to have the words to be able to speak to you during this podcast. Yeah, yeah. It gave me the words to express myself in recovery as well from alcohol and drugs and yeah. tell counsellors and psychologists how I was actually feeling. Because when I stopped using drugs, I was completely 
like that block wall there I was just hard and numb I knew nothing mm. I didn't know what feelings were I didn't know what emotions were I couldn't put a name and I'm like I just I was completely lost but through education I understood all these different things and I learned you know I kept learning and in my second year of um, third level education I got a diagnosed with dyslexia I got um, an assessment done by an educational psychologist because I felt like there were some things others were learning that I could never learn. Mm. And I'd really, when I'd learn something, it would stay there for an hour, half an hour, and it'd be gone again. And I came back, I was dyslexic. Mm. um, And that helped me so much to understand myself and understand like I had this voice in the back of my shoulder telling me you know what you're just tick is that James <laughs> you're stupid yeah <laughs> and James uh, and I thought James, James was yeah. on your shoulder <laughs> you're just tick Timmy yeah, yeah. you're tick but, but yeah that's, that's you can't, you're so tick you can't even spell it <laughs> um, yeah so but you got there anyway in the end in the end yeah I got there and it, it has allowed me to um, express myself in, in ways that I, I need. Yes. To, and this know? raises another, this, this brings me to another point. Yeah. Because you said that when you got off drugs, you were like a wall, you were hard, you were yeah. numb, you didn't have the ability to express your feelings. Yeah. Now, am I right in saying that both of you have received extensive treatment yourself in yeah. terms of speaking to people over the years? Yeah. Well, God damn it. This is one of the advantages you have over everybody. Mm. And this is what I've talked about this on the podcast once before, and I spoke to Brezzy at at length about it. And it is the need for all of us, Mm. not who are on fucking drugs, Mm. the need for all of us. And I wrote it down here. It's a very, very complicated sentence. To find out who the fuck you are. Yeah, it's true. It's one of the hardest things to do. And one of the things you inadvertently did by cleaning yourselves up was you found out who you Mm. were. And to be honest with you guys, you're one step ahead of me because yeah. I've never found out who the fuck I am or what makes me tick. Mm. And the vast majority of listeners out there aren't. And that's why I think it's important maybe going forward that as humans, as people, and maybe we look towards the option of, of, of the way we would do, like, let's say, go to the gym. Yeah. We, we, we eat proper in the morning. We eat our porridge. We go to the gym. We take care of that stuff. Well, what, to take, what about taking care of who we are? Mm. Who are we? These Who's this person that gets up at six o'clock in the morning, works all day and then comes home and grunts at his wife and looks at his children, and then watches TV for three hours and goes mm. to bed? And who are we? Who are we? I mean, yeah. it would be good to find out mm. by talking to somebody or help to unravel us slightly and who we are. And that's what you guys have done. Yeah. And that's why you're able, Timmy, this shy one, apparently, yeah. to look at me directly in the eye and speak so eloquently and articulately Thank uh, you. because you have accessed your feelings. Yeah, um... I suppose what you just said was very important about finding out who you are. You know, you have to get rid of all the shit. You know, all the trauma, all the negative experiences, all the people that had influences on you that didn't that didn't help you to become who you wanted to be. All those core beliefs from a young child, from teachers, from adults in your life telling you, no, you're never going to be anything, you're, you're take care, all these different things. When you can overcome that and look through all that stuff and realise that that's not who I am at all. This this is how I was conditioned as a young child. Then you start becoming who you are, mm. you know. You start finding your true purpose, you know. 
And I believe my purpose and I believe James's purpose is to go through the lives we had, to experience them and, and have that bit of wisdom from them so we can have that empathy and compassion for others that are behind us and give them a bit of direction. That's that's my purpose. Yeah, that's, it, that's my journey. As bad as things were, I wouldn't go back and change it because it's after making me who I am today. Guys, it's giving you a window. Yeah, and if things weren't so bad, would I have done all that personal development? Would I have done the group work, the one-to-one psychotherapy, the 12 steps? And all these things I've did, that's actually, it, it helps explore who you are, you know, it helps you to accept yourself for who you are and it gives you a sense of confidence and a sense of agency that it doesn't matter who talks down to you or who speaks badly, you know who you are and that's their, that's their but stuff. Lads, it takes a long time to get there though. Yeah, and exactly. And what is this grim, terrible beginning to your lives in many ways has given you is this thing that we're all looking for. People call it happiness. It's mm. not. There's no such thing as happiness. It's a bollocks word. It's a word made up by advertisers. I'm happy. Trying mm. to get happy? Get this to, do this to get happy. Do that to get happy. Be thinner, be happy. Be richer, be happy. Be poorer, be happy. Be cleaner, mm. be happy. Be, be, be climate friendly, be happy. Be this. And the new thing is going to happen every, every week. Mm. Be something to be happy. There's no such thing as happy. What you've helped yourselves to do is to get closer to getting a window into your own heart mm. and your own person. And that's all we can hope to do as people. Yeah. And bloody well, you're more well along the road than many of us are and that's what in inverted commas the word happiness is you know what I would um, what I would label it as opposed to happiness would be it's just a bit of contentment and a bit of peace because on any given day life can be tough for me and Timmy for you like we've mortgages and jobs and families and life has its ups and downs but it's never catastrophic. For every for every problem, there's a solution, and yep. we can work through everything. We have support, so it's just about like having a bit of perspective. And you know, because when you come from nothing and you start building a life yourself, you just have that gratitude that you know what everything that comes my way, I, I value it and yep. I don't take it for granted. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now the podcast has gone from strength to strength. The two Naris. I encourage people who are listening here to listen to the two Naris. And one of the brilliant distinctions you have is becoming number one podcast in prisons. <laughs> that is fucking class yeah. when I heard that uh, what's that like like well we're the only podcast in the prisons so it wasn't out <laughs> so so basically when they do top of the pops podcasts in prisons it goes and at number 10 is no one two no one it's number one again it's the two Dorries yeah. they just rank our episodes maybe yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you see the psychologists that work within the prison service they listen to the podcast and they saw the value of it mm. so they asked for our permission but should we were delighted which is okay because so they yeah. streamed the on YouTube in the prisons because yeah. they're all on a network in the prisons now because they had visit, video visits over COVID. And did you visit them? We went in and we did a couple of podcasts in yeah. prison in Limerick prison with a lady and in Cork prison. Was it a good experience? It was a brilliant experience but we haven't released them yet because it's part Timmy's of Timmy's giving me the project. eyes there was it? It was No it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. To go into a prison um, and to know you can walk back over any time you like is a great feeling. Because <laughs> yeah. previously you were there yeah. okay but there's even walking in yeah. all right, but there's no walking out. Yeah, but yeah. to go into prison in in Cork prison, like and yeah. meet the old prison officers that you know, and they come over and shake your hand. Oh uh, yeah, well. that's a moment where it's just it uh, register it's, with you, wouldn't it? Yeah, they yeah. think like you become so busy working podcast and family that you forget like how far you've come. But and there's little moments where you think like, yeah. man, this is a big change. Guys, mm-hmm. you've come so far. Yeah, you've come so far, and you're only you're only you're so young as well. What age are you, Timmy? 29. <laughs> 29? James? Uh, I'm 36 and Timmy's 40. 
Yeah. 41. Sorry, I believe Timmy when he said he was 29. Sorry, oh, really? I'm such a rollover. <laughs> Jesus. Um, That's doggy years. Uh, yeah, doggy years. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so you've just you've just started your journey. Uh, yeah. Actually, cancel that word journey. I fucking hate the word journey. Um, anyway, you've started this this whole thing and it's going to go on and on and on and you're going to go from strength to strength. Um, it's fantastic. Um, I was thinking to myself that you've gone from being these guys who are, you know, uh, out and about doing all these scrapes, having all these terrible experiences to getting, you know, uh, podcast and helping people and, and going from strength to strength and being number one podcast in prison. You remind me of what the, um, if the Young Offenders made the 26th series of the Young Offenders. Where are they now? Where are they now? Yeah. Be like, ep- series 26 of the Young Offenders. Pods and fucking there. They're there like, I have me on podcast. Will we go out and rob a bus? No, I'm down there doing some self-help therapy. It's on Leonard down the road, not the Edie. Oh, I don't know, would it be a funny episode or just boring? Yeah. But it's like, pa- the, the Young Offenders achieving peace <laughs> and contentment in our mind. The old offenders. <laughs> <laughs> the old uh, offenders. Uh, so James, there's something uh, in it. Yeah, there's something in it. The young offenders, twenty years from now. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, um, yeah. it's like they're both wearing just purple jumpers, going yeah. around the place, going, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Look into your own heart, Jack. <laughs> Look into your own soul. Do boy. yourself a favor. Do yourself a fucking favor, boy, and find peace within your own heart. <laughs> <sighs> okay. So what I was going to say there was, um, at Christy Moore. James. Big fan. You're a big fan. He's a big fan he's of us. He's a big fan of you. Yeah. Like and of course, Christy's famous for talking talking about his uh, experiences with, yeah. you know, depression and uh, alcoholism. Yeah. And, and he's very interested. He's very, he's very, he's he's very empathetic person. Yes. He and he's, he tries to, he lays his emotions quite bare at yeah. times. So what was your relationship with him or is your relationship? Well, I grew up listening to Planksty because my dad was a big Planksty fan. So yeah. like... I, Christy, like like many people in Ireland, Christy is a part of our culture. Like you listen to him when you're growing up. So we'd be big Christy Moore fans. Mm. So we started the podcast and we started the podcast in the middle of the lockdowns. So around that time, all the community groups and centres were closing. So the likes of the recovery rooms would have been closed where people would go for meetings. So they were all closed. So Christy started accessing our podcast and he started emailing us saying, right. lads, I feel I, I'm missing out in the meetings, but like, yeah, my meeting every week and I really appreciate it. And he gives us feedback every so often. And we've grown a great band of him and it's such an honour. And he, he sent us down, um, he was on the Late Late Show recently launching his new album and he sent us down a couple of signed copies of the album. And yeah, uh, yeah so it'd be an honour to get Christy on the podcast eventually. But it's, you know, every time he writes to us mm-hmm. or sends us an email, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe Christy Moore is like, our know. friend. And you had me hold <laughs> Martin yeah. on the podcast mm-hmm. and um, I always feel that Michael Martin um, just forget about the feet of fall and the politician yeah, exactly. forget that he's the forget about that he's the prime the Taoiseach or Fianna Faller I always see now Michael Martin and I think about him through the prism of his lost children and he, as a human being as a human being yeah. through the prism of the terrible misfortune yeah. that happened to him mm. and how he must have some sort of window into grief mm. and loss and tragedy and uh, and in a way that that must make him uh, that must make him slight uh, must make him a more empathetic person it could not but make him a yeah. more empathetic person 
Uh, how did it go? I haven't heard that one yet. Did it? Amazing. Did it, well? Amazing. it went very, very well. You know, we got mm. to know him from the moment he walked in the door. It was in a relaxed environment. Mm. We, we that's that's what it is all the time. They didn't put us. on extra security or anything, Timmy. Considering it was yourself. Yeah. No. You brought two girls, all right? Yeah, no. <laughs> the did they shake you down, Timmy? Did they? Yeah. <laughs> did they have a look up the yin yang to see if there was any knives or anything up there? Spread them. Yeah. No, but we we'll have to take. Yeah. Uh, Mihal, we will have to take yeah. a look at Timmy. 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 Timmy might be a problem. I did get the look I got the up and down look off him yeah. alright but um, he said you're alright lads it's grand that's yeah. great he's reformed that's brilliant that's but yeah. you know the best thing about it you know the way um, when you impersonate me how Martin he does that the bit of bit of it there was none of that because nothing was scripted it was yeah. just the human the human conversation so he wasn't trying to regurgitate policy yeah you know party lines. it was a different his guard yeah. had dropped exactly and yeah. it was very natural and I think we should invite Fianna Fáil PR because I think it came across really well <laughs> yeah actually uh, lads can I have the two Norries with me uh, when I'm doing my pitter patter down the stairs uh, so uh, Norrie one uh, you were announcing the relinquishment of the first restriction. Nari two, uh, we, there will be no more masks uh, being worn, and uh, the, the lads will improve my PR. Going forward, going forward, going forward. Everything is going forward. Never going sideways or backwards. Everything's going forward, and, and, and the hands are like this all the time. <laughs> It's like as if he's feeling imaginary breasts. Yeah. Or on the set of the thriller. <laughs> a zombie. Yeah. That's it. Lads, there's a few people on the phone who want to talk to you, so keep your headphones okay. on. So who's, who's there first? Let me see. Um, let me see. Oh, Jesus, Christy Moore is there. Lads, J- say hello to Christy, lads. Hi, Christy. Hi, Chris. How's it going? How are you doing? James, it's great to hear you. I've been really enjoying... I've been really enjoying the old podcast. And I'm sorry that I haven't got into doing an old interview with you. But we're going to do it soon, aren't we, James? That would be the honour of our lives, believe yeah, me when I tell you that. It'd be fantastic. And I know, and I'm, I'm sorry I missed all the meetings, but... I wrote a little song about you if you don't if you'd like to hear it. We'd have to. I, I'm down in Newbridge at the moment, and I have I have a little song I wrote about you. And while you while the podcast was on, I wrote it. Do you want to hear it? Go off it. Turn her up there. Turn her up there. Oh, they're coming in their droves. They're coming in their lorries. Everybody's listening to the lads that do nurries, do nurries, 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 nurries. They're making their way. They're making their waves. Timothy's me buddy, but me pal is James. Up the yard. Up the yard. Get to know yourself. And get peace and understanding into your heart with the two Norries. Every week on their podcast. Fair play to you, lads. Is that all right? Thanks, Mary. Up Knock Nahini. Up Knock Nahini's right. That's great. Who else is on the phone? Oh, Leo Varadkar's on the phone. Oh, we don't like Leo. Leo Varadkar. Say hello to Leo. What's the crack, Leo? Tim, he's a good buddy of mine, and uh, and James, of course. Uh, uh, you, you you wouldn't think of having me on your podcast, would you? Uh, any chance? Because uh, me all, well, and of course he's the the Taoiseach, but I'm actually the Taoiseach because we're kind of rotating, a bit like Man United. So he's, <laughs> you don't like poor people, and working class people, so I don't think you'd fit with us. No, I love pops. <laughs> I, I love pops. Uh, uh, it's a total novelty for me to meet them. So uh, it's, it's, it, yeah, it's like meeting Australians or yeah. New Zealanders or something. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I, I rarely get to meet them. So, uh, yeah, if you'd like to interview me, I, I, I could, I, I'd love to meet you because you're Bob's as well, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, that would be Do great. Do you know what? Send Helen McIntyre forward, your Minister for Justice, and we gladly speak with her. Oh, yeah. great job. 
um, um, you could actually give me a pop accent as well. Maybe a Cork accent or something. One of those bog accents. Can you help me? <laughs> or an old West Cork or something. How did, what, what did you say? West. Sorry, I don't understand that language. <laughs> what, 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 is that a dialect? Of, uh... He's on the wrong setting for the robot. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay, thanks. Um, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, Roy Keane's on the line, lads. Oh, right. The king of the north say side. Hello, say hello. All right. All right. How's it going? What's the How are you getting on? How am I getting on? Then how to get with us. We're trying to get Jam for the while. How am I getting on? Stop fucking ringing me and asking me to come on your podcast at the end of the day. <laughs> Leave me alone. I heard these lads earlier on talking about, oh, I, I find it hard to be on Instagram. I find it hard. Yeah. I find it easy to be on Instagram. And I'm harder than you. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd like to say something else as well. Go on. There's a fucking myth going around that you're two narries yeah. at the end of the day. Northsiders. You are in your hole. These two lads are sons of judges and bankers from Montanati, putting on these voices for the last three years. <laughs> oh, credit to imposters at the end of the oh, day. Jesus. Think you can pull the wool over people outside Cork? Everybody inside fucking North Cork knows who you are. Yeah. You've never been there in your lives. Yeah. Never been there. Montanati is where you hang out. Oh. In your fucking skin tight little fucking trousers. Yeah? Smoking your vapes. Going to the movies. The Kino. <laughs> Everybody knows where you're from in Mayfield. There's the posh part of the north side and the real part is not. The real part is not Nahini. That right, Tim? Jesus, Roy Keane there. He's, he's, yeah. he's hung up now. So he's, he's, he's Brendan O'Connor's there on the line. So I say hello to Brendan. How's the phone, Brian? How you doing, Timmy? That's great to talk to James. Great to talk to you. Um, you, wouldn't, would you. Would you be interested in filling in maybe someday on my Sunday morning show? Most definitely. That'll be give it a bash, like. Yeah, I think you could, because you're talking about really important stuff, like, you know, opening your, yeah. opening up your, 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 your hole, I was going to say. No, opening yeah. up your heart yeah. to people, you know, Timmy? We're cock enough anyway. No, you are, you are. You're we're really, 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 yeah. really, really, really <laughs> compelling, Timmy. Really compelling. Thank you, Brendan. You're really compelling. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're waiting on our invitation, Brian. No, 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 Brian, no, are we? Yeah, God, Jesus, we're really close now. That's yeah. the cock thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Great, lads. Brian. Listen, because I'm thinking of taking six or seven weeks holidays, okay, great. Can we come? No, I mean, you'll fill in for me on, on our team, like, you oh, know. Jesus. That would be great, yeah. Nari FM. exactly. Nari okay. Okay, good luck, lads, bye. Slant. Brilliant, lads. Listen, you've been so good with the callers and everything. That's fantastic. The live show is on on February 12th in the Opera House. Mm. I fucking sold out five nights in the Opera House in March. Will you come and see me? Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to put you on my guest list. Thank You're you. going to have some crack that night. Oh my God. I, that's on Tuesday, amazing. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday I'm on the Opera House. Oh my, that's some, that's some accomplishment yeah. though, fair play. Oh, no, no, it is to be honest with you because... Um, it's a beautiful venue, isn't it? Beautiful venue. Mm-hmm. It's my favourite venue in Ireland. Yeah. Um, the And I love Cork because yeah. I went to school there. What did you um, Yeah, from my secondary school I went to uh, uh, Ashton. Oh um, yeah, yeah, on, Black Rock, on Black Rock, yeah, and there was a little boarding school there called Rochelle House, which got knocked down. Yeah, and not because I went there, but but, but <laughs> legacy, yeah, legacy. Legacy. <laughs> Your man was here. We totaled the place afterwards. This was riddled with syphilis. Oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> but the Opera House would be. I don't know what the people in Cork would really, really love you because we've got a great sense of humour and we just get you. And I really, I don't know. I've always that. said that, yeah. and um, I've always said that, and they get me more than everybody else. Yeah. 
I and so, yeah. I think it's the cheekiness or the piss take. Cork people love the piss take. Yeah. And they're very political as well. It's a very yeah. political town. Yeah. Fine Gael, uh, Fianna Fáil, the treaty, fucking the Michael tree. Collins mm-hmm. and Labour and of course the, the the redness of Cork as well That's and right. you know the, the social and, and the Labour and so it's always been a very political town yeah. and always been a, a town full of piss takes. Yeah. I remember when a famous thing happened with one of your most famous DJs happened uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to do with uh, Norofen. Well, to do with Norofen. <laughs> I came down the day after that to do my show down in Cork and I got every taxi I got into, they had five minutes on your event, the material. Mm. You're like, stand-up comics, each one totally different and each one brilliant. <laughs> and I was just there, hold on there, I'm just taking down the torch off there on the way into the opera house, that's my show for tonight. I know, yeah. And then the other one, he's there on the plane, right? <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. Uh, and, and they're just this is fucking gold dust, lads. You just think of this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, no names mentioned. Oh. Um, J- uh, James... Timmy, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you. Pleasure was ours. And, I, and, and not only that, I hope to see you again and hopefully I'll see you in Cork. Thank you, Mario. Brilliant, brilliant. Thanks. Thanks. Thank, Thank you, you so much. God bless. And that's it from the two Naris and that's it from me for this week. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation with the lads. I promised them that I would go on their podcast when I returned to Cork uh, to do my series of Gift Grub Live shows which start from March 3rd. Nationwide, uh, please get your tickets from Ticketmaster. It's going to be a savage show, not least because I'm going to be like a tiger waiting to get out. Um, And I hope that I'll be able to spread some infectious fun um, around Ireland. Um, Listen back to some of my previous episodes. I think you can find some great fun there as well. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Curry's for their ongoing sponsorship. And uh, thanks to Patrick Coffey, my producer. And thanks to me. See you in the same time, same place next week. 